Father, we, we love you. You are altogether lovely. You're altogether worthy. We give ourselves away. Lord, that's a decision we have to make every day. Every day we have to make the decision to give ourselves away. To lay our lives down. To, as the Apostle Paul would say, to die daily. Some days it's not hard to do that. Other days it really is a challenge. Because we naturally are selfish people. But Lord, help us to remember the greatest sacrifice of giving oneself away. And that's Jesus. Leaving the comforts of heaven coming on a rescue mission for all of us, submitting himself to the realities of a broken and fallen world. Even, as the Bible says, he was obedient even to the point of death. That nobody took our Savior's life. He laid it down, and he took it right back up on the third day. I am the resur resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And those who believe in me will never die. That's the good news for the believer. Christians don't die. Because as soon as God says, give me back my breath, we wake up in his presence. So, Father, we give ourselves away today, asking you, Lord, to strengthen us. And may the reality of the resurrected Savior convict us, move us, challenge us to be everything you've called us to be. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this time. What a joy it is to worship with these dear loved ones, your people. As we sing these songs, as we've sung these songs, we pray now, Lord, that you would uh, speak to us yet again in your word. We don't gather to hear a word from a broken man. We gather to hear a word from heaven. And Lord, I can't change my own life and nobody here can change their own lives. We don't have that capability. But Lord, you change lives. Your word changes lives. Your spirit breaks up the heart, hard heart and the risen Savior gets into our space. And so Father, we pray that you would meet us today so that we can be different, so that we can be changed for the very cause of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray and the church said... Amen. Give God some praise. Give God some praise. Amen. As the children are being dismissed for uh, children's ministry, and as you are making your way to 2 Samuel chapter 12, <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 12, we um, want to echo um, all that God's doing in the life of our church. There's various serving opportunities you can get involved in, whether it be um, with greeting, whether it be with our tech ministry um, and other areas uh, with the kitchen ministry and so on and so forth. There's ways you can get involved. Please make note of that in the connect card and we will be in contact with you. And praise the Lord for our, there's some people who are interested in wanting to know more about membership. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, so we give God honor. The first two Sundays in March, we will be having that as Ethan has mentioned. And we will be having some baptisms on the third Sunday in March. How many of us know that it's great to see people get into the water? All four claps. Amen. Hallelujah. 
So praise the Lord for that. And we also, those who may not know, we have a Nehemiah class that's happening on Sundays. If you're interested in growing in your faith, um, we have a class that meets at 9 o'clock here. Um, and also our midweek, we have been going through Daniel, and we will be finishing that up, Lord willing, this week, led by Elder Eddie. Well, today we start a series called Confessions. And no, I'm not talking about Usher, Raymond. Confessions, erasing shame and experiencing renewal. And this is the start of Lent season for us. As we are thinking about Easter, uh, the Resurrection Sunday, we cannot um, fully embrace Easter Sunday without going through Good Friday. And so Lent season, this season is for us to reflect on why Jesus came. uh, The reality of sin that we all struggle with. And so we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 13 today, which is foundational, and then the weeks to come will center on Psalm 51, probably the most concentrated, most heartfelt, most thorough description of what repentance is and what it looks like penned by King David himself. So today sets up Psalm 51, today's message, when God confronts our sin. Father, speak to us, we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think it's safe to say that America and the world is a great supporter of sports. Um, I'm sorry, Lions fans. Um, The Lions was doing what my Falcons were doing last week, watching the other players play. No shade, I'm with you in the struggle. Hello, somebody. But America, we, we, we thrive off of sports. We, we like to see a legitimate confrontation. We like to see uh, players battling it out to win their particular play or win the particular route or to win the particular move. We want to see that. And when they lose, we want to see them get right back at it again. We love to see confrontation. We like to see a good conflict. Football is the ultimate team sport. Legalize violence in the name of Jesus. Now, I like to play golf. That don't mean that I'm good. Because even in the game of golf, you're not playing against the guy next to you. You're playing against yourself. And against the course and against the elements. It's a game of mental strategy. It's a game of conflict. And yet, those of us who are sports fans, we just keep coming back to the television. We want to see another conflict. We want to hear explanation of the conflict. We want to see why did we lose? Why did we win? We are drawn to conflict. Now, that's cute in sports. But that's not always cute from a personal standpoint. I've never met a person that enjoys to be confronted. If that's you, you need prayer. I've never met a person that enjoys somebody getting up in their face and saying, bro, you wrong. Usually within us, this sense of pride or resistance would come. But you can tell a lot about a person. You can tell a lot about their character when they're being confronted. You can tell a lot about a person. Because newsflash, ladies and gentlemen, we tell on ourselves more than we realize. We can try to hide it. We can try to manage it. But as grandmama used to say, time tells no lies. 
We tell on ourselves more than we let on. And when we are confronted, it don't always feel good, but who we are will really come to the surface. I'm saying all this to set us up because today's text is a confrontation text. It is a text that God doesn't hold any punches. It is a text where God gets into the grill of King David. But in order for us to really understand the impact of this, we have to understand context. Uh, context and meaning, context and usage determines meaning. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see the context. David is king. He's enjoying the, the success and the fruits and berries of the land. He's, he's in office. He's enjoying himself. And here you have a king who decided to stay home on a particular day when it was normal for kings to go to battle. Uh, let me stop here and give you this piece of mail. It is in times of great success that we are the most vulnerable to fall. It is in times of fruitfulness where we are the most vulnerable to fall. Don't you say, don't we say what we'll never do? Let me say it again. Don't you ever say what you'll never do? Because we all, in the words of my daddy, we all are one step away from stupid. One choice, one move, one decision away from stupid. David decided not to go to battle, which was a custom of the kings, and he decided to stay home. The brother stayed home and decided to walk on his balcony, and it was there that he notices a sister taking a bath on top of her home, which was the custom of the time. I've been to Israel a couple times in my, in my life, and I, and I gotta be honest with you, I stood where the balcony was, and I saw the remnants of across the way of where that neighborhood was where Sister Bathsheba was taking her bath. It ain't that far. And here David is, he has a choice. Do I look at the menu and turn away? Or do I look at the menu and order what I want? The brother decides to place an order. I want her. And it's just like God to send us little warnings here and there. Somebody told David, oh, you mean the wife of Uriah? David, you, really, you know she's a married woman. And David's action said in so many words, I don't care, I want her. They go and get her, he sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and now he has a mess on his hands. You see, now he has to decide, okay, what am I going to do? So her husband, now this is how messed up it is, her husband is a soldier serving King David. So David sleeps with his soldier's wife. This is the Bible, by the way. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. This is scripture. Gets her, what do they say in today's vernacular? Knocked up. And now he has the idea, well, let, well when he comes back on a tour of duty, let me send him home so he can, you know, uh, see his wife, if you catch my drift. So it make it look like the baby is his. Somebody say Drama. 
And so, okay, so he comes home from a tour of duty. Hey, Uriah, man, it's been, man, go home, man. You ain't seen your wife. He was like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to stay with my brothers. He's more committed to his mission than David is. And that don't work. So now David has to figure, okay, what am I going to do? 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 Oh, I got it. Let's get him drunk. Let's throw a party. Let's get him drunk. Yeah. And in his drunkenness, he'll go home and see his wife. That don't work either. So now David has to figure out another strategy. And so David decides, this is when it gets really messed up. He decides to have a letter written that says, put Uriah on the front line so that he can be killed. Now watch this. What makes it even dastardly, amazingly sad is that the letter is written, it's sealed by the king's signet, and it's given to Uriah, who don't know that the letter's about him. Uriah is obedient enough not to open the letter, gives it to his commander. The commander reads the letter, puts Uriah on the front line, and now Uriah is killed. So David not only commits adultery, he commits murder. Now, the brother is so cold with this, now that her husband is dead, David now marries the woman he slept with. Yes, sister, that's dirty. Some of y'all are looking at me like I'm strange. Pastor, I need you to give me some scripture here. Notice, no, notice in verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, chapter 11, she lamented over her husband, watch this, and when the mourning was over, when the tears had been shed, after the funeral, so to speak, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Watch this line. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now hear me. By the time we come to chapter 12, scholars suggest, watch this, that almost a year has gone by. A year. So David is continuing his life as business as usual. He, he's just doing his thing. Like it's not a problem. And it's within this context now, we see a major confrontation take place. And if you'd like to take notes this morning, you see it in your outline. The point of today's message, as we come to 2 Samuel 12, verse 1 through 13, is this. The Lord confronts our sin so we can experience renewal. The Lord confronts our sin so we can experience renewal. Here's a question I'm going to answer this morning. Why is confrontation for renewal needed? Why is it even needed? Why? Is it even needed? The first answer to that question is simple, because we are blind to our own sin. Amen. The reason why confrontation for renewal is needed, because we are blind to our own sin. Notice what happens in verse 12. Look at the first opening phrase. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. 
slow your roll. Let me park there for a second. And the Lord sent. Key word I want you to underline is the word sent. When you read scripture, read it slowly. Don't water ski. Don't rush it. There's profound implication in the word sent. When you read chapter 11 very carefully and very slowly, the word sent or sending or a derivative of the word is used, watch this, 11 times. David had a lot of sending going on. Because every move he made was a downward spiral into the reality of sin. What am I trying to say? Living in sin takes a lot of intentionality and energy. Ah, let me work on that. When we live in sin, now by the way, let me, let me, let me, let me, make it, let me, let me clarify this. There's a difference between struggling with sin versus living in sin. We struggle in many ways, but to live in sin means I'm deliberately going to do this. I'm deliberately going to do what I want to do. It's me. This is what I want. Now, when I do that, it's going to require a lot of energy and intentionality and newsflash. The last time I checked, living in sin is exhausting. It's exhausting. Why is it exhausting, Pastor? Well, it's exhausting because we have to, we have to manage our lies. We live in deception. It's one lie after another lie and after another lie. And if the truth be told, and with love I say this, then maybe there's some people in here today, you are tired, you are exhausted. Not because of the devil, it's because of our own sin choices. We're exhausted. And like David, we're sending, we're sending, we're sending, we're going this way, we're going that way. It's one mess after another. And guess what? We all have the proclivity of doing that. Lord, forgive us for our self-righteous spirit. David did a lot of sending to live in sin. But David sent Nathan to challenge him and to call him out. So right here you see this contrast. One has to do with sin. The other has to do with holiness. God sent Nathan. Who's Nathan? Nathan's a prophet. And prophets in scripture are, are the messengers of God. They, they, they didn't have the complete canon of scripture as we have today. And so uh, the prophets were very instrumental in speaking the word and declaring things to come and calling sin out. And God sends Nathan uh, to David the first time in chapter 7. We see this beautiful description of what theologians would call the Davidic covenant. That David, I'm going to establish your throne forever. There's going to be one that's going to come from your lineage that's going to sit on my throne forever. It is no wonder why Jesus was, was called the son of David. So that's a beautiful thing in chapter 7. But when we see Nathan here, it ain't beautiful. He's going to confront him and get into his space. Now it's interesting here. Nathan is a smart man. Because King David is a very powerful man. And so how he confronts David uh, is, is strategic. He, he doesn't come out the blocks. He decides to tell him a story. You want to know what the story is? Come here, come here, come here, come here. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Come here. David, uh, there were two men in a certain city. The one rich and the other poor. 
The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It, it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now watch this phrase. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. A traveler to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then the anger, and David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Few things here. Number one, David can relate to this story. He can relate because he was a shepherd. Do you see the strategic method here? He tells him a story that centers around the idea of a lamb, which is implication of his role as a shepherd. As a shepherd, he knows what it's like to love on a lamb. He knows what it's like to have the value of a lamb. He knows what it's like to, to, to get into the space and care for the lamb. He knows what it's like. He can relate to this story. But also, David has a heart of justice. Because when he hears of the injustice done to this poor man... David was like, hold on now, that rich man needs to be killed. That rich man needs to die. No pity for him. In fact, the poor man whose lamb got killed innocently, he needs to be restored fourfold. Well, newsflash, church. What David doesn't realize is the rich man is David. The poor man is Uriah. And the little innocent lamb is Bathsheba. And the traveler to the rich man was a vehicle that David used to commit his act, which was lust. Like the rich man, David, you had no pity for Uriah. Like the rich man, David, you had no pity for Bathsheba, who was married to Uriah. You had no pity for their marriage. All you could think about, David, was yourself. At the end of the day, all sin is, is selfishness violating the authority and rules of God. One of the greatest inventions to man that I value and appreciate, by the way, is the blindside signal on, on, on our cars. I remember back in the day when they didn't have all that, you actually had to look. And even with the technologies, our brother still looks because sometimes things made by man can still fall apart. But I praise God. For the blind signal, because as I'm driving on the highway, as I'm driving wherever I'm going, that little signal comes on. And there's times where it's come on. And I'm like, I don't see any car. But then when I take a glance, there it is. You see, the signal is there to help us to avoid danger. Aren't you grateful for the Holy Spirit who is our blind signal guide? Aren't you grateful that he tells us of impending warnings? But the problem is, I don't always listen. Some of us need a word. Well, we need to listen. Warning, danger, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't text that. Don't look at that. God has given us his spirit, but we must listen to the warnings and we must obey. One scholar says if we open the door, sin comes in as a guest. 
but soon becomes the master. If we open the door, sin comes in as a guest, but soon becomes the master. And by way of application, let me ask us all this question. And this question the Holy Spirit revealed to me personally as well. Have I opened up myself to any patterns of sin? Is there anything within me that's a pattern of sin that nobody else knows? Psalm 139, David would say, oh Lord, search me and know me. Lord, show me what I can't see in and of myself. Sometimes I don't have to think too long. Because the truth of the matter is we all know what that is. And some of us know who it is. Are there any patterns of sin that the Holy Spirit is calling to mind even now that I have to come before him and lay before him because we all are blind and we are in need of being confronted today. Why is confrontation for renewal needed? Because we are blind to our own sin. Number two, because we have despised the word of God. We have despised the word of God. Nathan told the story David said that, that brother needs to die. And one of the scariest lines in the Bible, I texted my dad this the other day, one of the scariest lines that scares the heebie-jeebies out of me is found in verse 7. You are the man. Um, it's nothing like, like it when God pulls the blanket off of us. He says, you are the man. Now, I want you to, simmer, I want you to sit in this. I want you to notice how, how Nathan applies this now, and God's speaking to the prophet. Notice he says in verse 7, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Watch this. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. This is what God is saying. Let me, let me break it down to come to your neighborhood. This is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. Three, three, three implications. Number one, David, look over your life. Who gave you that position? You didn't make yourself king. You are where you are because of my goodness. You are where you are because I put you there. I put you there. You was minding your own business. And Samuel thought there was nobody else to anoint, but there was one more, and it was you. You were shepherding sheep. You was out there. You didn't come looking for me. I came looking for you because I looked at your heart. I gave you that position. But David, I also gave you protection. All those years, for almost 20 years of your life, you was running for your life. You was in a cave. 
You was on mountainsides. You was in the desert. You were eating dinner with Saul and he threw a spear at you. Who gave you the ability to, give a, get, to get away? It was me who protected you. Who took your tears and collected them in a bottle? Who nurtured you? Who spared your life? It was me, David. I gave you protection. I gave you position. I gave you possessions. Brother, you got more than one wife. You got all this stuff. And if you needed more possessions, I would have given it to you. David, you're privileged, man. Oh, Lord, help us to stop and see the goodness of God in our own lives. He says, David, look over your life. But then Nathan also tells him, you've offended God. The Hebrew word for despise is a very, is a very direct word. It means to take lightly. It means to make a mockery of God. David, you treated the Lord in your sin and your actions. You treated him like trash. You treated God's word like trash. Look over your life. I've been good to you. But as I look at how you're treating me, David, you treat me like I'm trash. And to make matters worse, you hurt others. Listen, listen, listen. At the end of the day, it's never about us. Sin will make it seem like it's just you and your pleasure. No, 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 no. It shoots shrapnel to everybody else around you. Not only have you despised the Lord, you violated another man's wife. One scholar says, and I want you to feel this, Uriah died because of David's sin. Let that sit for a second. He's dead because of your sin, David. Now what's to be done? What's to be done? Well, contrary in our, in our culture today, God doesn't hold any punches. Now what's before us should scare the living heebie-jeebies out of all of us. And I mean that in a healthy way. In a healthy way. Look at verse 10. God says, now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Interesting. You had Uriah killed by the sword. How about this one, David? The sword's not going to leave your house. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, now let me, 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 let me highlight something. David said that the poor man needs to be restored in the story fourfold. Find it interesting. David had four sons that met an untimely death. He had four sons that met an untimely death. Absalom. Just to name a few. Amnon, Adonijah, and even the little baby that was born to him in Bathsheba, God's going to take away as well. It's never about us. So David, there's going to be the issue of the sword. 
But there's also going to be some internal family conflict. Look at verse 11 and 12. He says, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives. Now, this is rated R. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall sleep with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. What is going on up in here, up in here? He says, David, the sword's never going to leave your house. All right? There's going to be some internal family conflict. Now watch this. You keep reading 2 Samuel, Tamar, David's daughter. Amnon, David's son. Amnon rapes his sister. Now watch this. When he says, I'm going to take those wives that belong to you and I'm going to give it to your neighbor. When you read 2 Samuel chapter 16, the person who's going to sleep with these women in broad daylight is not going to be anybody else other than David's son, Absalom. The Bible says he set up a tent on top of a house and slept with all of his daddy's wives in broad daylight. Hello, we at church today. Oh, this is Bible. 2 Samuel 16, read it for your devotions and ask God to speak to your heart. This is scripture. Somebody might say, well, this is just too much. This is, this is, this, I didn't come here to, to, I just want, this make me feel good. Well, well, first of all, I will be violating my calling to proclaim scripture uh, by making you feel good. Trust me, God took me to the mat with this this week. So we all in this struggle together. We don't come to church to be, to make me feel good. We come to church to grow in our holiness, to grow in our walk with him. And one of the most scariest things is this. We can choose the sin, but not the consequences. We can choose the sin, but not the consequences. Ah, what God is saying to David in so many words, brother, you did all that in secret. I'm about to go public with all your mess. Woo! I'm going public with your mess numbers 32 23 one of the most scariest verses in the bible my mother used to say this to me and my me and my siblings all the time but for some reason she used to always come back and say this verse to me but if you will not do so behold you have sinned against the lord here it is and be sure your sin will find you out my mama used to say this to me my teenage years and i told you my mother gets upset that bottom lip will go in like this. One time she looked at me, she said, boy, God's going to get you for being sneaky. Woo, mother's no best. Amen. Lord have mercy. Luke 8, 17, Jesus says, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. And nothing is, or nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. My father uh, told, told me recently, um, when he got his oil, oil change not long ago, he was waiting for his car to be fixed, but he heard some bad news and he felt sorry 
He felt sorry because this young man that was there at the counter was, everybody's been there before, if, you, if, you, if you've driven a car or you get in a service, he was being told some bad news. You went in to get some routine stuff, and now all of a sudden there's a domino effect of other things. Anybody ever been there before? Oh, my Lord, have mercy. This brother was being told, you got this expense, you need a news, you need a new this and new that. And, and the guy's face was just red. And what, what, what it all boiled down to, my dad was telling me this, what it all boiled down to was if he simply came in when the maintenance light came on, a lot of the other issues would have been avoided. But because he thought he knew better than the computer in the car, he now has a bigger price to pay. Listen to me, church. Sin will take us farther than we want to go, keep us longer than we want to stay, and cost us more than we want to pay. It'll take us farther than we want to go, keep us longer than we want to stay, and it'll cost us more than we want to pay. And the question I want to ask us this morning is this. Are we taking God's word lightly? Are we despising the word of the Lord? Let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Is there anything in my life where I'm just, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'll give God 50% of my heart over here, but the other 50, I'm keeping for myself. That, that's not how it works in the kingdom, by the way. God wants all of us. And let me go on the record and say this. I, I have a little theological issue with some worship songs that communicates, Lord, we want more of you, we want more of you, we want more of you. Ah, that's actually theologically wrong. It's not about us wanting more of God. It's about God having all of us. That's a difference. Because we can sing those songs knowing good and well, we're keeping 50% to ourselves. God wants all of us. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want to share you with nobody else. And so, why is confrontation for renewal needed? Because we are blind to our sin. Because we have despised the word of God. Church, my heart's plea is that we stop in our tracks and we turn to the Lord. My heart's plea is that we, we stop in our tracks and we turn to the Lord. Don't let this day go by without turning to the Lord. Why is confrontation for renewal needed thoroughly and finally? Because the Lord will forgive our sin. The Lord will forgive our sins. Interesting. I want you to see this. David is hit with this reality. God tells him, there's consequences coming, buddy. There's consequences. But notice what David says in verse 13. I have sinned against the Lord. Now this, thank you, Lord. This, this implies a few things. I have sinned against the Lord. It implies, number one, that David has a heart of genuine Repentance. Uh, let, me, let me work on this. Let me work on this. I got I, I to be honest with you. Uh, Saul, his enemy, um, he always had excuses. You study his life, the brother always had excuses. A genuine heart of repentance is a person that does not make excuses. Can I go even further? I need your permission. Can I go further? There have been times as a pastor... Well, I've had to tell people, and this is a hard word, I cannot help you. I cannot. Well, why? Why? 
because you're too busy making excuses. You're too busy trying to protect your image. No, 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 no. Those of us who are working with people, it's okay to say I can't help you. Especially when all they are doing is apologizing because they got caught, but they're not willing to do the dirty work to make it right with God. It's a difficult thing and it's a hard thing. And we cannot waste our time chasing folk that don't want to be caught. That's a hard reality in pastoral ministry. Let them go. Pray for them. Trust me, as old preachers used to say, God is the great hound of heaven. God can get somebody's attention far greater than us. He's the one that goes after the, the, the one that got away from the 99. We just pray for them, move about, continue our work, and God will draw them back in. Just pray for them. But don't try to make somebody repent when they don't want to repent. There's a difference. David doesn't make excuses here. Here's the mirror, David. This is you. What does he say? I have sinned. I have sinned. I've sinned. No excuses. I ain't trying to protect my image. I've sinned. I've sinned. Listen to me. The way you know a person is genuinely repentive is that they will do whatever they have to do to be right with God. I have sinned. But I also believe, pregnant within this phrase, I have sinned against the Lord. I also, I believe that David had already been experiencing guilt. Oh, hold on, Pastor, man. I know, I know you're a Bible preacher, but I, I, I don't see that in the text. I'm like, yeah, you don't see it here, but you see it in Psalm 32. Psalm 32, he's reflecting on his time of silence. And in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, where David's reflecting on this time, watch what he says. For, watch this, this is beautiful. For when I kept silent, he's speaking about his sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, speaking to the Lord, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So even during this silent period, David says God was kicking his tail that I couldn't sleep, that the Holy Spirit was reminding me, you ain't getting away with this. Yeah, you fooling everybody else, but you ain't fooling me. And I'm going to let you feel this conviction down to your bones. Has anybody ever felt convicted down to their bones? And David says, I have sinned. He's immediate, he's direct, and he is genuine. And I love it. God meets David right where he is, and God tells him, the Lord is also put away your sin, you shall not die. The Lord's put away, which is a picture of forgiveness, your sin, you shall not die. What I love, it, what I love about this is, is that he doesn't remove the consequences. No, 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 no. They're going to be there. But David, I'm going to preserve your life. That even though you're going to experience consequences, you'll, ex you'll still experience my goodness through the consequences. 
And even though David was a terrible father, even though they had issues with his family because of his sin choices, he still experienced forgiveness. Somebody say forgiveness. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Well, we know he's near because he let, he let us gather together today to hear his word. So he is near. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I can't tell you. When I look over my own life, seasons of stupidity, where I felt the weight of my sin choices. I know what it's like to feel that weight. I know what it's like to, to experience that shame and embarrassment. I know what it's like for God to pull the blanket off of me and expose me. Yes, you're hearing a pastor say, I know what it's like. And I know there's folk up in this room that know what it's like. And maybe there's some folk up in here now. You ain't really come out to the Lord. You walked in here with a heavy load. And that heavy load is all because of my sin choices. Some of y'all got weights on you right now. But I came to tell you today, the good news is, the hand of God is here to lift the load off. But God likes to work in unison with us. I cannot experience that weight to be lifted unless I come to him in humility and confess it. Lord, I've sinned. I've been living foul. I've been acting a complete fool. You should have taken me out a long time ago. But it was your grace and your mercy that brought me to the house of God today to be reminded yet again for the millionth time that you offer forgiveness. You offer forgiveness. And forgiveness is available today. If you're breathing, you are a candidate to experience the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. It's available today. As the worship team gets ready to come up, I, I got I to tell you, I got to tell you, the lamb that was killed, we know it to be Bathsheba, but in the grand scheme of things, there was another lamb that was killed. It was the lamb of God. Jesus, the innocent lamb, the spotless lamb of God, knew that Brendan Crawford Loritz was in his sin before he was even born. He already set in motion a plan of redemption. And he willingly was slain for you and for me. But the beauty of this lamb, the lamb of God, is that he got up from the grave so that we can experience newness of life and what it means to be restored, to be restored 
Somebody's here today. Your life might be broken, but God can restore you. He can restore you. I can't restore myself. I can't restore my life. But God can restore. God can restore. But you don't know how much I've done. God can restore. But you don't know my story. God can restore. But you don't know my addictions. God can restore. Do you believe God can restore your life? Now, he may not remove consequences. But he definitely can restore our lives. You see, the Lord confronts us so that we can experience renewal. And the truth of the matter is, we all need to be renewed. We all need to be renewed. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. Paul would even say, for I am crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We can be renewed today. You see, this whole confrontation, really, honestly, somebody might say, well, this is a little bit too harsh. No, it's not. It's actually love. You see, the world defines love with agreement. You have to agree with my lifestyle. You have to agree with me. Then you really love me. No, no, that's not love. That's shallow. That's coddling. That's, that's, that's pampering. God's love is not a pampering love. His love is a perfecting love. God meets me where I am, but he won't leave me as I am. He moves me over to holiness. He moves me over to Christ-likeness. He moves me over to being restored, to set me on a trajectory so that my life can be used as a vessel of honorable use and holiness to God. He moves me that way. He doesn't leave me in my, in my mess. He wants me to be holy. But he knows I can't be holy unless Christ first comes into my life. And so I have to turn to Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, today is a good day to turn from our sin and embrace Jesus Christ by faith. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, today is a good day to yet again say, Lord, search me. We all struggle in many ways, as the scripture tells us. There is a reality of sin that, that permeates in us. It's woven in our DNA. But we must be a people that says, you know what, I'm going to run to the source that can deal with my issues. And that is the goodness and grace of God. So Lord, we come before you right now asking you, Lord, to strengthen us. Asking you, Lord, to help us to respond to you. I pray, Lord, that during the series, as we reflect on Psalm 51, beginning next week and the weeks to come, that maybe this week it'll be good for us to sit back in these two chapters, chapter 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel. It's a it's very graphic, but yet it's real. I love the realness of your word, Lord. You don't hold any punches. You're not trying to hide anything. Because we all are like David. We've all have committed spiritual adultery. We've, we're guilty of worshiping other things other than you. It could be ourselves. It could be our careers. It could be 
hobbies. It could be good things that have become ultimate things. And just like that, we walk away from you. We do our own thing. We, we get in the, the mess of our own mess. And, and Lord, we need to be reminded, no, 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 no. Brendan, you are the man. Sister, you are the woman. And like David, Lord, help us to remember your goodness. That where we are today, you've given us those positions. You've given us protection. We are protected from stuff that we will never know about. Maybe that news report on the evening news that we hear of what happened in a community. Maybe that had our name on it, and yet you redirected us someplace else. We are protected from danger seen and unseen. You have protected us. You've given us possessions. You've given us things to enjoy. You've given us privilege. You've given us air in our lungs. You've given us the ability to lean in this, this moment. Lord, help us not to take that lightly. So Lord, I pray as we respond to you, whether it be someone for the first time coming to Christ or whether it be just someone just need prayer, as we have people up front to pray, I just pray, Lord, that we would do business with you. That in this moment, you will have all of us. That we will surrender to you. That though even David messed up, what I love about his story is that he still called a man after God's own heart. <laughs> That's liberating. That tells me that even in our failure, we still can have a heart for you by responding to you and living appropriately. So, Lord, may we respond with urgency. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this time. Be with us even as we pray right now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said.